And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is The Travel Show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel. And that's a conversation that you can join with us. The best way to get in touch with us is on social media. Uh, You'll find Fromers on Pinterest, on Twitter, on Facebook, and on... I'm missing one, but you probably know what it is. Just look for the word Fromers. And we hope that you'll visit us during the week uh, at Fromers.com. That is our website. It's a labor of love. We're constantly updating it with fascinating articles about cuisine, about culture, about history, and yes, about travel. There actually is travel news. To help us with the travel news, I have a special guest up now. His name is Scott McCartney. He is the middle seat columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Welcome back to the Frommer Travel Show, Scott. Good to be with you. So, uh, to be totally transparent, we are taping this on August 5th. And I say that because everything has been changing with such rapidity in the news that uh, anybody is who is listening to this, I want you to know when we're taping it, just in case what we say is totally out of left field in two weeks. But with that in, in mind, I don't think it will be. Scott, you had the chance to discuss the future of travel with a lot of major uh, figures in the travel industry. And the the thing that they all seem to agree agree about was that business travel is probably going to be very, very different in the future. How will it change and how will that change affect consumers who are just doing leisure travel? Yeah, I really found this fascinating. Um, and it did, did surprise me to, to hear this um, from these folks who, who have been through the, the wars of many downturns uh, before and, uh, and, and bounce back. But this one they really think is different. Um, so, so they all agreed that um, to really get back to meaningful levels of travel, uh, and and for to have travelers feel comfortable about travel, um, you're going to need a vaccine, uh, and more than that, you're going to need an effective treatment or or cure for coronavirus, um, so that uh, so that people have have confidence. Um, but even with that, uh, the the drop in business travel they think will be uh, significant. Um, uh, Bob Crandall, the former uh, CEO and chairman of American Airlines. Uh, who in the past has said uh, technology just stimulates more travel, video conferencing and, and tools like that. Well, now he thinks that, that the video conferencing that we're all using on our phones, on our laptops, um, it's, it's easy to use. It's widely available. Uh, you don't need special equipment. And, and he thinks that really is going to result in a, uh, in a one-third to one-half drop in business travel. Uh, there are going to wow. be a lot of meetings that people used to go to that they'll just do electronically, a lot of conventions that won't be held for some time to come. Um, and 
as you say, that that has significance for all of us who who travel on, on vacations. Um, you, you can make an argument that the the high fare business travel people in the front of the airplane uh, they really help subsidize the the inexpensive fares we find in the back of the airplane, um, right. or, or when you want to go on on vacation. Even if you're in the front of the airplane on a on a discounted fare. Uh, somebody's probably paying more than you and and helping make that discounted fare possible. So you take all that revenue out of the equation. And I think I think there will be uh, fewer flights uh, to choose from um, because of the drop in business travel. And I think there will be fewer cheap fares uh, to find um, because we're all going to have to cover uh, a higher portion of the costs of, of actually operating the flight. Well, let's, um, it, let's go deeper into the fares, and then we'll come back to other changes that might be coming down the road. You said in your article that fares had always been based on historic data, but there is no historic data for yeah. what's going on. And so uh, airline executives are totally flummoxed. They have no idea where to set fares right now. How does the consumer navigate that? Uh, well, it's just going to take um, frequent uh, shopping, I, th- I think, is is really the, the way to go about it. Um, I was really surprised. I looked at uh, uh, some some busy travel routes, New York to Los Angeles, uh, and, and the fares for, for right now uh, in the middle of the pandemic um, were exactly the same as the, as the fares uh, for May and June next year when airlines hope there will be a whole lot more demand. So the, mm. the pricing systems aren't working. Um, and I do think, uh, you know, right now with so little demand, uh, airlines have no pricing power. Um, and so you can find lots of, lots of cheap fares. Um, when demand does start to come back, that, that becomes a, a little bit of a different equation. Uh, but I think the consumer is gonna find um, a lot of availability of low prices uh, for some time to come. Um, now, they may not be fire sale prices, um, uh, but, uh, you know, until they're until demand uh, right now, they're flying at, at 50 percent load factors. And, wow. and really, there are only a few flights that, that are busy where they might have some pricing power. And even then, they're reluctant to, to do it because a lot of the business travelers now are emergency responders, medical workers, um, and you, you don't want to be hitting them up. Uh, for higher fares. But uh, for for everybody else, uh, I think what you're going to find are uh, reasonable um, low prices, uh, but but not ridiculously low prices. Uh, for anybody tuning in late, we're speaking with Scott McCartney. He is the middle seat columnist for the Wall Street Journal. And as you said, f- planes are flying at 50% capacity. You talked with some of these big figures in travel when do they think travel will come back, if it will? Uh, they really think it will be several years um, for for significant return of, of travel. Um, uh, I think the one way to look at it is um, when do you get a vaccine uh, and and have it widely available? And the hope is that that's well sometime next year. Um, but it may take a year. For people to, for you know, people to really feel comfortable that a significant portion of the people on the airplane, or the people at the hotel, or the people even on your on your cruise ship, um, would would have been vaccinated and won't bring the virus um, with them. 
and and so you're really looking at um, 2022, I think, for for significant rebound of, of leisure travel. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the, the predictions are because of this lasting downturn in business travel, um, the, the uh, International Air Transport Association just uh, revised its estimate and pushed it out a year. And they said 2024 um, w- will be the time that we get back to 2019 levels. Wow. Um, so you're really talking about a five-year downturn. And how will this, we've been talking a lot about air travel. What about hotels? Is this shaping the hotel landscape? Uh, it definitely is shaping the hotel landscape. Um, I, think, I think physically when you go into a hotel, it, it will definitely be different. Um, you know, we've, we've all gotten used to um, not interacting with people at airports. Um, you have your boarding pass on your phone. You, you can self-check your bag. You can self-board, all that. You almost never have to actually interact with a person. That's not been true at hotels, but I think it is going to be true now at hotels. You're going to check in on your phone. You're going to get your, your uh, room key. That, uh, that'll come through your phone with a smart key. Uh, you'll go straight past the, the front desk. Now, now it's interesting what, what hotels know. What's left out of that equation is uh, that people like to go to the front desk because they like to try and uh, see about an upgrade. Doctors sure. themselves <laughs> into an upgrade. And I think even that's going to get automated uh, on your phone because hotels know people like that. Yeah. Um, the hotel business hasn't been hit. It's been hit very hard, uh, but not quite as hard. Uh, as uh, airlines, because people are driving uh, sure. and and they are traveling uh, this summer, and hotels have had to figure out um, really uh, efficient, good cleaning operations, um, operations to limit the number of people in an elevator and, yeah. and things like that. Right? Um, you know, no no room service, no restaurants. Uh, no the spas. Hotel business has been turned upside down. Yeah. Um, but they are figuring out ways to come back. Now, you also wrote a piece about safety, and it was interesting. You're the middle seat columnist, and whether yeah. middle seats are being kept open is a very big deal. Interestingly, you talked to Ray LaHood, who was the uh, DOT uh, commissioner under Obama. He said he wouldn't fly right now, and that if he had been still in charge, he would have kept the middle seats empty, and he would have given the airlines over... Overall regulations, we've got about 30 seconds left. What's the safety prognosis? Should you only fly the airlines that keep the middle seat empty? Well, there are a lot of people who agree with that. Ray LaHood's a a Republican. Um, He thought that airlines would would appreciate having a mandatory mask policy, for example. Yeah. But, the, you know, on an airplane, the, the ventilation is actually very good, and you get you get a 50% mix of fresh air. Uh, it, it's a downward motion of airflow. Um, there's very horizontal. Yeah, there's very little evidence of transmission on an airplane. I think well, the airplane cabin you know itself... I'm, I'm sorry, we have to say thank you, and, and you've been listening to... Scott McCartney, who is the Wall Street Journal's middle seat columnist. We'll be right back.
And you are listening to the Fromer Travel Show. Up next, we are proud to say, is one of our authors, Don Lane. He writes our terrific guidebook to Santa Fe, Towson, Albuquerque, which is called Fromer's Easy Guide to Santa Fe, Towson, Albuquerque. Welcome back to the Travel Show, Don. Well, thank you very much. I do want to add that uh, you have to give my wife credit, too. Oh, yes. Um, Sorry, Don and Barbara Lane are both the authors. Right. I'd, I'd be totally lost without her. <laughs> well, good. Uh, not good that you'd be lost, but good that we gave her credit. <laughs> now, when we were preparing for this interview, you told me something very funny. You told me that often when people hear the words New Mexico, they don't think it's in the United States. How does that play out? It's very strange. It's it's sort of a running joke we have here. When you say I'm from New Mexico, people don't hear the word new. They assume that you're in what we refer to as old Mexico. <laughs> and sometimes it takes three or four times of say, repeating it. Uh, New Mexico Magazine, our official state monthly magazine, has a running column every week or every, every month one of our 50 is missing. Um, huh. One of my favorites was recently was a woman in California who was actually from Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, couldn't get her phone to work properly, went to the local uh, Sprint store, and the first question was, well, do you have an international uh, 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 service plan? Because <laughs> they just assumed New Mexico was in Mexico. It's crazy. Right, exactly. In a certain way, though, it makes sense a bit, because when I think of New Mexico, I think of a state that is totally unlike every other American state. So right now it's August 5th. There's a two week quarantine to go to New Mexico. Hopefully that will be lifted. So we're not talking about going, you know, getting into your car, driving there right now, but hopefully for the future. What, what are the differences and why should they appeal to would-be travelers in the future? You mean, why does anybody want to come to New Mexico? Yeah, well, how does it, how does it differ from other states? I mean, I know it's well, a very different place. To me, what makes uh, New Mexico somewhat unique is exactly what brought our artists here in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And that was two things. Primarily, it was the light. They wanted to paint, and our light, the light here, for some reason, is absolutely fantastic. Wow. And the second, of course, is the culture. Um, you can't go very many places and see Indian dances, uh, not like we have here. Hmm. Um, the other reason for, for current modern-day visitors to come is we have so many different things to do. I, I think you alluded to that. Uh, you can go. You can go skiing or golfing in the morning. Then you can go to new, numerous museums. Uh, you can do hiking. We have a lot of hiking trails. It's it, it's a big mix of things to do. Uh, art galleries. They're they're all over the place. You, you you could spend two weeks visiting the art galleries and not see anything else. Is it is it correct to say that historically New Mexico had a longer history with the Spanish and with the Mexican government uh, Mexicans or, or not really? Oh, oh yeah, we've had a very long history. Of course, it started with the Native Americans 
right. and that was uh, about a thousand years ago. Uh, Spanish, uh, the, the Spanish conquistadors arrived in the 1500s, and there were some there's some problems with the Spanish and the in, and the Native Americans. Um, and in 1848, Mexico ceded the what is now New Mexico to the U.S. government. So it's been part of the United States since 1848 and in 1912. Now, we were just talking, we're, for anybody tuning in late, we're speaking with Don Lane. He's the author, along with his lovely wife, Barbara, <laughs> of Fromer's Easy Guide to Santa Fe, Taos, and Albuquerque. Now, when you go to these places, you eat differently than in other parts of the Southwest and certainly parts of the United States, right? Definitely. And in fact, uh, Santa Fe and Taos uh, have slightly different cuisine even than Albuquerque. Albuquerque has has a mix of cuisines, uh, some from old Mexico, some from the, the rest of, of the, the so-called civilized world. Um, Santa Fe and Taos have a, a distinctive type of, of northern New Mexico cuisine based on the chili. Um, uh-huh. In fact, one thing I should uh, tell tell visitors to the state is that this the official state question that you will be asked in almost any restaurant in New Mexico is red or green. Mm. That was passed by the legislature on 10 or so years ago. Wow. And the, the answer is that there are three correct answers to that. You want red chili on your food, you want green chili on your food, or you want Christmas. Which What's is a mixture of red. Christmas is a mixture <laughs> of red and green. Oh, that's funny. But is one hotter than the other? Green chili tends to be a little spicier, a little hotter, um, but also uh, than, than the red chili. Uh, red chili tends to be a little sweeter than green chili. Huh. We do we do warn our our out of state friends when they come to visit that if they're not used to spicy food, it's very good to ask for your chili on the side if possible. And you very often the restaurants will give you a little sample of the chili to taste. Right. But you can often get it on the side and add it to your food so you can add just a little bit at a time. Now we've got about 40 seconds left, but very quickly, is New Mexico a good state for social distancing? Is there, are there a lot of wide open spaces? Well, we took our dog for a walk this morning, uh, probably a mile or so and didn't see one person. Wow. And where are you specifically? We're just a couple of miles north of Taos. Wow. Okay. Well, that that answers it. All right. Well, to those tuning in late, we have been speaking with Don Lane. He and his wife, Barbara Wright, Fromer's Easy Guide to Santa Fe, Taos, and Albuquerque. Don, so nice speaking with you. Thanks, Thanks so much for appearing on The Travel Show. And thanks for inviting me.
Welcome back to The Travel Show. Next up, we have Gene Sloan with us. Uh, Gene has been in the industry forever. He used to be with USA Today. Now he is the senior reporter for cruises and travel for The Points Guy. And Gene, welcome back to The Travel Show first. And is that a hard position to have right now with all the problems in cruising? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, first, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a strange job to be writing about cruising at a time when almost no cruise ships are operating. For a while, for, no cruise ships were operating. Yeah. For anybody tuning in late, we're being very transparent about this. Right now, we are talking on August 5th. And Gene, I invited you to appear on the show before four major disasters happened uh, because it's it's only in the U.S. where big ships aren't cruising. Other parts of the world had tried to start up their cruise industries again. What happened? Yeah, that's right. It's been a really tough week in the cruise business. Um, yeah, as you say, we, we haven't seen cruising come back in North America with one exception. I can talk about that, but uh, What's happened is a few lines around the world in places where the coronavirus case counts have come down significantly have tried to come back, and they've tried to come back in the last few weeks. It's been mostly small ships so far, um, and their thinking was that the case counts were down enough that we can start back up, and you know we'll, we'll do a lot of things we didn't do before, like testing before people get on board, extra cleaning, people wear masks. And that it would work, you know, in a way that, of course, it didn't work a few months ago when everything shut down. Right. Um, but unfortunately, what we're seeing is that it's not working. And these ships, the same thing's happening. There's outbreaks on board. You know, ships are having to come back to port, cancel cruises. Uh, people are getting quarantined, that sort of thing. So the the, the, the outbreaks happened on Hurtigruten, which is a, a line that goes into the fjords of Norway and is also kind of like a, a local ferry, isn't it, as well as a cruise ship? Is yeah. that fair to say? Uh, it is. Well, I was going to say, they, they sort of run two different businesses. They have these ships, Hurtigruten, that go up and down the Norwegian coast, act like a ferry, but also travelers will book them as vacations and, and they're fascinating trips because they go town to town to town uh, on a, I think it's 34 ports uh, you know 17 up 17 down something like that all the way up the Norwegian coast um, those have been they started those back up the problem where they're having the problem is they also started up more traditional cruises which were expedition style so they weren't they, they were going from Norway up to Svalbard which is this archipelago up in the Arctic and that was more of a wildlife type watching, you know, looking for polar bears and looking at ice and that sort of thing. And that's the ship. They, they brought a few of those ships back. And on one of those, they had a big outbreak. How, I mean, what wasn't in place? What did they do wrong or did they not do anything wrong? Well, it's, it's still unclear. Um, unfortunately, I think they didn't do as much wrong as people may think. I think, I think what this may be telling us is it's going to be very difficult to bring ships back until, you know, it, it basically in this, if, if there's still COVID around, if there's no vaccine, if there isn't treatments, if there isn't rapid, very rapid testing, um, because they, they kind of did everything right for the most part. I mean, they, the issue with, they think what happened, this, this is a ship that they just started up about a week ago. It was on its second voyage. Somebody on the first voyage got off and a couple days later tested positive. And uh, they did make some mistakes in that they were told that and did not immediately uh, tell, you know, tell the other passengers who were on board and get people Ooh. tested and 
and try to, you know, try to figure out the situation. Then what happened was that person probably last week, they're not sure yet if that was the index case, but what they do know is that COVID just ran through the ship. They uh, Over 30, 36 of the last count crew members out of 158. So that's over 20% of the crew have tested positive now. Wow. And, uh, and now they're going back and testing all the passengers from this week's sailing and last week's sailing. And more and more of them are testing positive. So, so clearly it got loose on the ship. Yeah. Um, but, you know, of course, the question is, is there anything that they could have done to stop that from happening? And if it had just been that one case, maybe we said, oh, they made a mistake. But what's happened the last few days is we've seen a similar thing happen on a uh, second ship operating in Norway, a seeding, seeding yacht club vessel, about 112 people, and, and, a, and a vessel in uh, the South Pacific, the Paul Gauguin, which started up just this last week with international trips and also has had a case on board. So I think what it's saying to us is like it, it's going to be difficult to do this. Well, and interestingly, UnCruises, which is an American company uh, that, that operates in Alaska, because they're a small ship, the CDC was allowing them to ply American waters, and they've had an outbreak too. Can, can you tell about the circumstances? Because I thought the circumstances for this one was chilling. Yeah, this is, uh, and this has just happened the last couple of days. And this is a company that did everything right. You know, so you can't say there was, they messed up in some way. It, this is a very small ship operator. They, this is a ship that is designed for about 60 people. They only were running it two thirds full. So they had about, uh, I think 37 people on board. Um, they did have every single passenger tested in the days leading up to the trip. Um, and in fact, that, that, was, that would have been a requirement anyways, because Alaska, this was a trip out of Alaska. Alaska was requiring that. So what happened was people, everybody, all 37 people had been tested. Then when this passenger, a single passenger was on board, then later tested positive after testing negative. So he tested, um, he tested negative on the mainland U.S., but then when he got to Alaska, he took another test, right? And that's the one that, that came back positive. That's it. He, he, he did the initial test four days before traveling to Alaska, which is, which is what the rules say. And right. uh, he got there, landed the same day in Alaska, went straight to the ship. As part of the rules on landing in Alaska, he had to take a second test. And, and she got on the ship, the crew started, and a couple days later, the results came back for that test, wow. and it was positive. Yeah. But it does raise this issue of, you know, even if you have this kind of testing, and fairly rapid testing, you can have people get on board who have a negative test, but then, you know, it sometimes takes a few days yeah. to go Let positive. me stop you there. We have to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more with Gene Sloan after these messages. listening to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Gene Sloan, who is a senior reporter in cruises and travel for thepointsguy.com. Now, Gene, we've been talking about everything that went wrong. There are people working feverishly right now to try and bring the cruise industry back. And I I've seen some interesting ideas. I know that the European Union 
put forward its tips. And it one of the things that really blew my mind was they kind of wanted the cruise lines to separate people by age. Do, do you know about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was one of the suggestions. European uh, agent, one of the agencies there has put together sort of a, a, a rough guidelines on how this could be done, how ships could come back. And like I said before, you know, the, the, uh, the case counts in Europe are much lower. So there is some right. thinking that, you know, we can do some things here that, that um, make it possible to come back. But yeah, that, that, you know, they brought that up. I think that even folks in the cruise industry think, you know, I just, how is that going to possibly work? That you would stay with a group in a rough age range. You would eat together. You would go on tour together. Um, you wouldn't mix so much. Um, but, uh, and the idea behind that. that was that younger people are going to be maybe less careful about masks and the like, or, or what was the idea yeah, behind that? Yeah. And yeah, and that, you know, the, you would keep maybe some of the older travelers on board, I kind of isolated in their group. Um, but of course, you know, if you've been on these big ships, it's just the idea of, of trying to not yeah. mingle with a big percentage of people on board just doesn't seem realistic. No. So if it does come back, and uh, as we said in the last segment, boy, has there been a blow to the industry this week with with ships that had tried to come back and immediately got coronavirus on board, usually with the crew. Um, what will the differences be, do you think? What will the cruising experience be like in the near future if it comes back? Well, yeah, I mean, I think for uh, longer than people think, it's going to be a little weird. I mean, you know, there's uh, some of the things, some of these lines that tried to come back in these last few weeks have done will probably be around for a while, which is you know, even on this uncruise adventures ship that had this uh, case come up this week, you know, they were, it was, you were wearing masks on board, you're uh, social distancing, you're, you know, the all the buffet buffet restaurants have been are going to be closed down, and so you'll be table served. Um, you know, a lot of cleaning on board, that sort of thing, which is great. But uh, just the experience, I, you know, we're already seeing lines talk about things like maybe the some of the pools won't open, maybe the spa will be closed. Some of the river lines that have started up, there's been a few river lines that have started up in Europe, are doing just that. Even the fitness centers are not reopening. So it's going to be a cruise, but it's there's going to be a lot of elements that we all took for granted for granted as being part of the cruise that are not going to be there at least, you know, and, and I think some people say, Oh, for a few months, but until there's a vaccine, I see it being very difficult to get back to our cruising as sort of the normal experience that we're all used to. And, yeah. you know, is that in six months or is that in a year or 18 months? We don't really know. And will the companies, I mean, they're, they're slashing things that for some people make the cruise the cruise, like the buffet, like getting to go to the spa, like working out at the gym. They won't have those options. Will prices come down because experiences and, and perks have been slashed or not necessarily? No, you know, not necessarily. It's going to be a supply and demand situation. And so what the all the big cruise lines have said is uh, – I think they're hoping not to have big fire sales on prices. And one, one of the ways they're going to do that, and it's partly also logistics are coming back, but they're not going to bring all their ships back at once. So when they finally do, you know, in many of the big lines, we've talked about some of these smaller lines have tried to come back. Many of the big lines, the Royal Caribbean, the world, the carnivals, the princesses, have said they're not going to come back already for many months. They've, put, they've canceled into October, November, and even December in some cases. 
Um, but when they do come back, what they're saying is, look, if, if we had 20 ships before, we'll, we'll try it first with two, or maybe we'll do three. And, that, and then if that works, we'll do two more. And we'll also be coming back with less capacity. So we'll only fill the ship 70% because we want social distancing. And because of that, it, you're going to have this funny situation where the, you know, obviously, uh, uh, you know, the, the demand is way down, but there's going to be so little capacity that the supply and demand equation will mean that pricing probably will stay up. Hmm. Wow. Not what I expected you to say. Interesting. Yeah. Will the demographics change? Because as we know, older people were used to be very, very fond of cruising. Now it could be too dangerous for them. Do you think it'll be a shift yeah. in who cruises? You know, I, I think so. I, I thought so all along. And I, but the thing is, I've talked to some of the top executives in the business, and they're still looking at the numbers. Believe it or not, people are still, and this, this amazes me, I think it amazes a lot of people, people are still booking cruises. Um, they're maybe not booking for the next few months, but bookings for next year have not gone down. That's huh. the deal. They're coming in about the same rate, and I, a lot of people are thinking, oh, it's all be over by next year. Um, and um, the executive is telling me they're still getting bookings from older demographics. So, you know, it's, it, it's a surprise to me, honestly. Well, we have to end on that note, but we have been talking with Gene Sloan. He is the senior reporter for Cruises and Travel for The Points Guy. Thank you so much, Gene. Thank you. And you're listening to the Fromer Travel Show. The reason we're on radio is we've been the name for travel for, Dad, what is it? How, is it now 64 years since you published at, at your book? At least that much, Pauline, at least that much. And so we want you to think of us when you travel, even if it's not a huge international vacation, which is not something one can do right now. So to better serve our listeners, to better serve our readers, we just came out with a, uh, a slew of specific guides meant for people who are going to be doing road trips and exploring the United States right now. These are brand new guides. They're ebook only so that you can easily carry them so you don't have to go into a bookstore to buy one. They cover such really great destinations as the state of Rhode Island, the state of Vermont, uh, the area around Sedona, Arizona, which is a vacation paradise. We have one to the Grand Canyon. We have another to an area that has only recently gotten really, really popular, but it's such a fabulous Amer American vacation area. I'm talking about the Hill Country of Texas. You go to the Hill Country of Texas, you can have a different adventure every day. One day, you might have great barbecue at a place that people drive hours just for the meal. Another day, you'll go spelunking. It's this incredible area for caves. If you're there at the right time of year, you're going to see some of the most beautiful wildflowers out in the fields. Uh, there's also a lot of historic sites, including the homestead of uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, uh, our former president. Um, so that's one of the books. Another one is Lake Mead. 
and we have another one on arches and Canyonlands National Park. So if you're wanting to go to Utah, and, and it really is truly one of the most spectacular parts of the United States. We're going to give you all the advice on where to stay, what trails to hike, how to get away from the crowds, because that has been a problem at some national parks this summer. Some of them, people think, oh, I'm getting out into nature. I'm going to be all alone. And that hasn't been the case. Dad, have I missed any? I think I got them all, didn't I? Yes. So, so we hope that you'll go to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com or wherever ebooks are sold and take a look for these new ebooks. They're called, they're all called easy guides. And there are a lot of them that will be going to the places where you're going because these are written to be concise and written to be looked at while you're on the road going somewhere. Uh, they're shorter than some of our longer books, and and so they're less expensive. So they're a good buy, but we know they'll save you money. So again, we hope you'll look for our new ebook guidebooks. We also have the regular range of Fromer guides out there for you to buy, and we also are putting up new articles every day on Fromers.com. We thank you so much for listening, and to those traveling, a hearty dad. Bon voyage.